Hey, welcome to the February 8th edition of The Der Show. Put on your thinking caps. Today is a seminar in constitutional law, also American history, also a great current fight. I love a good fight over the Constitution, especially when it's between a former president and a former vice president. As you probably know, former President Trump has said that Vice President Pence didn't do a good job. He could have reversed the election. He could have done something. He could have sent it to the back to the states. He could have gotten the Senate or the House to do that. Instead, he just counted the votes and announced the the winner. And 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 former Vice President Pence spoke in front of the Federalist Society a couple of days ago and said, No, 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 no. I had no power to do anything else. Trump was wrong. When's the last time you heard? vice president say of his president, he was wrong. So let's get ready to rumble uh, on rumble. And um, it's, uh, it's a good argument. And it's an interesting argument. And it's an argument that, like most good arguments, has a right and a wrong answer. But both sides have something to say. So where do you start a constitutional argument? You start it, obviously, in the text of the Constitution. But before we get to the text of the Constitution, which is um, basically the 12th Amendment, we have to understand why we have a 12th Amendment. We understand why we have the first 10 amendments. Congress shall make no law establishing a religion or bridging the freedom of the speech. That was all part of the deal to get the Constitution enacted, that we would have a Bill of Rights, first 10. 11, not important. 12 was very important. Why? Because it resulted from the nearly failed election of 1800. That's a little American history. Washington is elected president. He serves for two terms. He decides two terms is enough, establishes a tradition that lasted until the 1940s when Roosevelt decided he would run for a third term, actually late 30s, run for a, th a third term, 1940, I guess. He decided to run for a third term, breaking the tradition. Then we have a constitutional amendment going back, only, only two terms. But in 1800, uh, so Adams replaces um, uh, Washington um, and is defeated in the next election, overwhelmingly defeated by a ticket of Jefferson Burr. The problem is the Constitution, the framers messed up. They're human beings. They said you have to cast a vote for president and vice president. Whoever gets the most is the president, second most is vice president. But they cast the votes for the same person. So Jefferson and Burr got the same number of votes, enough to clearly defeat the incumbent. Adams, but not enough to decide who the president would be. You'd think decency, but Aaron Burr and decency, we learned later on with Hamilton, is really a contradiction in terms. Aaron Burr should have said, look, I, I, I really, I ran for vice president, not president. I urge my electors to cast their votes for Jefferson. No, 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 no. Uh, Burr didn't want to do that. He wanted to be president. He was very ambitious, came from a very fancy family. His father was the president of Princeton. His daughter was supposed to be the most brilliant woman in America. Tragically, she died um, sailing um, to England. Uh, Aaron Burr eventually, as you know, was indicted for uh, treason, stood trial, one of the great trials of American history, presided over by Chief Justice John Marshall, and, um, and uh, ultimately was, was acquitted. He, he was found not proven, not proven, which is not a typical American verdict. It's more a Scottish verdict. But... He was acquitted, and um, then he, you know, we know 
We know the duel with Hamilton. We know all, all of the things that happened subsequently. But in any event, as the result of the Burr-Jefferson tie, the Twelfth Amendment was enacted. And the Twelfth Amendment, as I say, you start every constitutional analysis by looking at the words of the Constitution, whether you're an originalist or a living constitutionalist or whatever your approach to the Constitution, you start by reading the text of the Constitution. The text of the Constitution doesn't tell us much about how to resolve the kinds of disputes that former President Trump believed warranted a reversal of his fortune. And so the Constitution simply says the President of the Senate, we know who that is, it's the Vice President of the United States, the man who ran with the President, the President of the Senate shall, in the presence of the Senate and House of Representatives, open all the certificates and the votes shall then be counted. There are two shalls in that sentence. He has no discretion. He has to be there. He has to open the certificates and the votes shall be counted. But the 12th Amendment doesn't really tell us what happens if there are contested votes. What if you get a state like Pennsylvania, for example, which was hotly contested. Pennsylvania, the governor changed the rules as to how late voting could occur. And so many votes were counted that should not have been counted under the legislation. And the Constitution seems to give authority to make changes to the state legislature. So there was a real challenge. It went all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court denied review. I think it was a mistake. I think they should have granted review. And I think the Pennsylvania vote was very questionable. Let, let me put all my cards on the table. I think the election in the end produced the result the American people wanted, and that was consistent with the Electoral College. In the end, I do not support my former client, President Trump's views that the election was rigged and that, um, or, or my current client, I also uh, represent Mike Pillow and Mike Lindell, who take that same position. I don't represent only people I agree with or, or people that uh, I support their views. I represent people on the First Amendment or constitutional grounds, and I believe, as you know, that the impeachment of President Trump was unconstitutional, and I think that was right. And I believe that efforts to silence Mike Lindell are wrong, whether he's right or wrong in his position. But my own view is that there were problems in the election. I think Pennsylvania, the vote should have been challenged and changed, but it wouldn't have affected the outcome of the National Electoral College election. But I think, in general, President Biden is the President of the United States, and he was correctly uh, uh, elected. But there are challenges, and the Twelfth Amendment doesn't really provide for how the challenges get resolved. So we moved to a statute. There was another very contested election. It was called the Tilden Hayes election, and um, it created a tremendous constitutional crisis that got resolved with tremendous sacrifices in civil rights and civil liberties. It was a terrible episode. In American history, and, and several years after the Tilden Hayes and Broglio, the um, Congress of the United States passed a voting act of, uh, or an election, an electoral count act of 1887. Um, that's this statute, very hard to read, small print, 
but it lays out a whole series of ways in which uh, the election can be challenged, but it doesn't give the vice president uh, authority on his own to uh, undo the vote or to challenge the vote. It requires a combination of factors. It requires a senator, a member of the House, ultimately votes by the House and by the Senate. A great deal of authority is given to states, um, some to governors, some to state legislatures. Uh, I have to tell you that as somebody who's been studying constitutional provisions and statutes for, I don't want to count the years, but, you know, close to 60, more than, more than 60 years. I started law school um, 63 years ago. So I've been reading statutes ever since, and this statute is a mess. It needs to be, it needs to be revised. We need clarity. What we, what we can't have is people arguing about what a statute means after an election. When the answer to the question, what does the statute mean, will determine who's the president. You can't do it that way. You have to have the shoe on the other foot test. You have to pass a statute for future elections without knowing whether the content of the statute will benefit the Republicans or benefit the Democrats. You don't know. You don't know whether this will be Bush versus Gore, where Gore was the challenger, or whether it's going to be Trump versus Biden, where Trump is the challenger. So you have to pass a statute that would be fair to both sides, regardless of who the challenger was. And so we now have um, legislation being considered by a bipartisan group of uh, congressmen and senators looking to pass legislation to amend the statute of uh, 1887 and to give guidance and to tell the vice president, do you or don't you have the authority? What authority do you have? There has to be a way of challenging elections. I just want to go back for a minute to the 2020 election. I was involved in the litigation over that uh, election. Um, I was asked to represent the voters of Palm Beach County. You may, may remember the butterfly ballot. You know, there were two issues, the hanging chairs. We all remember the hanging chairs. But too few people remember the butterfly ballot. The butterfly ballot was a ballot in which instead of having the O, oh, the, the holes that you have to punch, um, uh, where it should be next to the candidates, they were in the middle and it was very confusing. And so you had several hundred, maybe even more than a thousand voters in Palm Beach County, many of them elderly Jewish voters, voting for Pat Buchanan. Pat Buchanan is hated by the Jewish community. You know, he's anti-Israel. He has said things about the Holocaust. He wouldn't get a single vote in Palm Beach County from any elderly Jew, but he got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of votes. Why? Because the punched hole next to his name was right across from Joe Lieberman's name. And Joe Lieberman, the first Jew ever to run for president, vice president, a lot of Jews wanted to vote for him. So they punched the Joe Lieberman hole. But it wasn't the Joe Lieberman hole. It was the Pappy Cannon hole. So, you know, there have to be ways of, of challenging elections. Ultimately, Al Gore decided not to bring a challenge to the butterfly ballot. He was mistaken. I think part of the reason that Al Gore lost the election was uh, he did not 
he was outlawed. He was outlawed at every stage. He was outlawed in the Supreme Court. He was outlawed in the lower courts. He was outlawed strategically. Um, the Republicans simply had better lawyers. The Republicans put more energy and resources into the lawyering. And eventually the case went to the United States Supreme Court, which, as we know, decided five to four along strictly partisan lines that the recount in Florida had to be stopped and that Bush was to be declared the president of the United States. I wrote a book about it uh, called Supreme Injustice, where I criticized uh, the Supreme Court. And I got a letter from uh, Justice Scalia, who's been a friend of mine for quite some time, the late Justice Scalia, great justice. I disagreed with a lot of what he said. I knew his father at Brooklyn College. He was a professor of Romance Languages, and he and I were on opposite sides of fights about McCarthyism. But he wrote me a letter in which he tried to justify the decision, uh, and it, basically the best sentence in the letter is, come on, we were under pressure, there were time constraints, give me a break. We'll talk about it before each of us become senile. That's what the letter says, of course. Tragically, he died, and um, we never had a chance to discuss it beyond, beyond the exchange of correspondence. Um, I did meet with him just shortly before his death. I was in the Supreme Court for some uh, argument or some conference, and um, I, I met with him. We took a picture together. We schmoozed. We, uh, we, we, we planned to have a long talk uh, about, uh, about uh, uh, Bush versus Gore, but it, it, it never it never happened. And, and so, you know, when you have the election of the President of the United States, you got to get it right. You can't get it wrong. And you can't have a situation where a third of the country or who knows what the numbers are. A lot of people think it went wrong. You can't do that. It has to be absolutely certain. And we know there are roles to be played by numerous institutions. We have, a, as you know, a, basically a six-part system in the United States. The United States government is divided into three, the executive, the legislative, the judiciary, and then the country is divided into two, state, federal. So basically, for each state, you have its own executive, legislative, judicial, and then you have the federal, which under the Supremacy Clause prevails if there is a conflict, but the Constitution can allocate responsibility, and statutes can allocate, as long as they're not inconsistent with the Constitution, allocate responsibility. So. We have a situation where some role has to be played by state legislatures. They determine the rules of who votes. Um, they also determine how districts are assembled. Just the other day, the Supreme Court reversed a Supreme Court of, uh, I forget, North Carolina, maybe one of the southern states, uh, uh, reapportionment, uh, which the state court said discriminates against African-American voters, and the Supreme Court reversed it and threw it back for further proceedings. So uh, we know that the courts have a role to play. We know that the le state legislature has a role to play. We know that the governor has a role to play. The governor is the ultimate certifier in some ways of how the state's electors uh, were picked. Uh, we know that Congress has a role. Uh, the Constitution says in the presence of both the Senate and the House, it's to be open and counted. Uh, but, but what happens if there is a legitimate challenge, if there really is a legitimate challenge. Bush versus Gore, there was a legitimate challenge. To this day, I firmly believe more Floridians intended to vote for Bush. I'm sorry.
intended to vote for Gore than for Bush. Uh, they intended, they thought they were voting, uh, but with the butterfly ballot and with the hanging chads and with everything else, when the recount occurred, as we know, uh, Bush won by a tiny, 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 tiny percentage of votes and became the president of the United States. Um, so there are legitimate challenges. Those challenges were brought in the courts. I think the courts proved themselves inadequate uh, necessarily to deal with those challenges. Um, so what would you do if you were asked to draft the statute? What would you do? How would you decide if, let's go back to um, the situation with uh, President Trump. Let's assume you're um, in the legislature now, you're a member of Congress, you're a member of the Senate, and you're passing a statute. And you say to yourself, look, the sitting president of the United States has said that the votes in Arizona and Georgia and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, a number of other states, were miscounted. Maybe they weren't. Other people say the computers uh, were rigged. I, I don't think they were rigged, but, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an expert. How do you make the decision? You can't just say, accept what people have said. We, we've tried that, and it's failed. We see a third of the country basically not believing in the results of this election. So how do you fix it? What do you do? Um, do you have the first challenges done in the states, then you wait until the states resolve their challenges, and, and, and what if the states resolve it one way, but there are people in the states that say, no, it was wrong. Can both sides, each of whom claims that their side won all of the electors, remember in most states, unlike Maine and maybe one other, one or two other states, in most states it's winner take all. So, you know, if you win California, you get all the numerous numbers of votes. If you win Texas, if you win New York, if you win Florida, you get all of their votes. It's not divided proportionally. Uh, and so you get two slates of electors coming in front of Congress, each one holding pieces of paper saying, the people of this state voted Democrat. No, 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 the people of this state voted Republican. How does the Senate resolve that? How does the House resolve that? How do you get a process working? There are some countries that have figured it out. Uh, they have neutral, bipartisan voting commissions, usually consisting of former judges, uh, former presidents of universities, uh, priests, ministers and rabbis, uh, you know, the most respected people in the country. They serve on the Electoral Commission. They don't vote. Um, they are out of politics. They can't be people who were actively involved in, in, their, in their parties. And they're experts. And they go through everything. And they declare uh, who won this state or who won that state. You know, in America, everything is so democratic with a small d that we don't trust royal commissions. You know, in England, Anytime there's a real dispute, they appoint a royal commission. In Israel, pretty much the same way. They appoint a former Supreme Court justice to look into why the Yom Kippur War produced so many casualties on the Israeli side. And, and, and the people generally accept the conclusions of the commission. 
Americans are a little bit more skeptical about commissions. We like people who are voted. We like democracy. We like people making decisions um, based on uh, how they were elected by the people. We even elect our judges. We're the only country in the world um, that elects prosecutors and, and, and judges, the only westernized democracy that, that does that because during Jacksonian democracy, there was a desire that everything should be elected. Everybody should be elected. Do you know in Florida, just I have to interrupt here because this is so stupid and ridiculous and funny. In Florida, they've taken Jacksonian democracy so far that they elect the public defender, the guy who has to defend all these guilty people, these murderers, these robbers, these rapists. The public defender gets elected by the people. <laughs> Can you imagine the campaign? All right. Candidate uh, A, uh, Joe Smith, gets up and says, look, I graduated uh, Harvard Law School, top of my class. Um, I took all of Dershowitz's classes. I was his research assistant. Um, I helped him win all these cases. Um, uh, I was on the law review. I was a Supreme Court law clerk. If you elect me as public defender, I'm so good all these rapists, robbers, and murderers will go free. His opponent, Jim Jones, says, oh, I barely made it through law school. Uh, I, I, I got terrible grades. Uh, I don't know very much about the Constitution or about law. If you elect me public defender, all these guys are going to go to jail. I'm not going to win any cases. They're all going to go to jail. Who do you vote for? You vote for the guy who's going to free the murderers, rapists, and robbers? Oh, do you vote for the guy who's going to um, uh, uh, be so bad that he's going to let them go to jail? So, you know, it turns out that when you have these elections, it's a little different, and they run on budget, and they run on uh, other things. But in the end, public defenders should not be elected. Public defenders should be uh, appointed by commissions. Uh, the very best people uh, should be um, nominated for the job. That's the way it is in Washington, D.C., which has probably the best public defender uh, system in the country. That's the way it is in other cities that have good public uh, defender systems. In America, we want everybody to be elected. So I don't think we're ever going to get an election a commission. So I think we have to figure out how we're going to allow issues to be challenged. And I'm anxiously looking forward to what this group of bipartisan senators uh, can, can come up with. Um, uh, thus far, I haven't uh, seen anything, uh, so I, I have nothing to compare, um, but, but I hope they provide a process. They provide a process whereby you have to first go beyond simply making a crazy allegation. You have to be able to show there's some substance to it. The Pennsylvania challenge had very substantial substance to it. Once you get over that barrier, then who does it go to? It could go to a court. It could go to a commission. You don't want it to go directly to Congress, to the House or the Senate, because they're partisan. Uh, today, the House and the Senate are in the hands of the Democrats. Um, in uh, a year from now, uh, at least one of them will be Republican hands, probably the House. And who knows what the Democrats uh, will, will do uh, in the Senate? Who knows? Uh, but we know that very few profiles encourage 
ever emerge, I'm not sure John Kennedy could write his book, Profiles and Courage, uh, about current uh, uh, senators as he did uh, back when he was um, uh, a junior uh, senator from Massachusetts. Today, courage is punished, principle is punished, and partisanship is rewarded. And what we expect is that we will get people uh, voting according to their party. They'll first ask the question, who do we want to be president? And then they'll interpret the law and the rules to make that person president. I think that's what happened in Bush versus Gore with the Supreme Court. Nobody will ever persuade me differently. Five Republicans decided they wanted Bush to be president, and they interpreted the law to make him president. Four Democrats decided they wanted Gore to be president, and they interpreted the law to make him possibly uh, president. Uh, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles in, in a democracy. And uh, it used to be that you could have bipartisanship. It used to be that there were always the kind of elder statesmen who would, or women who would um, uh, look to the interests of the country first and the interests of, of party second. But you know what you call somebody who uh, defies his own party? Uh, you call him a, a former Republican or a former Democrat. Look what the Republicans are trying to do now to a couple of the dissenters. Uh, who um, uh, have not voted the party line. Uh, they're trying to get them off committees. They're trying to take them uh, away the name Republican. You know, the name Rhino uh, has become popular, Republican in name only. Um, so uh, hoping for a bipartisan solution is um, a thing of the past, I think. And so what we need is uh, legislation. We need an approach that says, if you have a challenge, Here's who you bring it to. Here's how many days they have to resolve it. Then they have to present it to this body. Then this body gets to see it. Then there's a vote. And ultimately, I think the vote has to be um, by the Senate and by the House. But what if the House goes one way and the Senate goes the other way? It's a real problem. Look, there's one solution. That's easy. And the right solution. But it's never going to happen. Certainly not in my lifetime maybe in yours, abolish the Electoral College. It'd be very easy if you abolish the Electoral College and simply said whoever get the most votes in the country wins. That would be one calculation. There would be disputes, there would be arguments. Oh, some people were not permitted to vote. Oh, the lines were too long here. Oh, uh, the, there were restrictions imposed uh, on voting. But at least in the end, you'd, you'd get a vote. You'd get uh, 86 million for one candidate and 83 million for the other candidate. Actually, the recent elections uh, were not that close. Um, um, Hillary Clinton won uh, fairly overwhelmingly in the popular vote over Donald Trump, and Biden won fairly overwhelmingly uh, in the popular vote uh, uh, against uh, President Trump. But, uh, you know, obviously the losers sometimes say the voting was unfair. But when you're winning by three, four, five million votes, it's not like Florida, where you're willing, winning by a few hundred. So it's much easier to do it if we abolish the Electoral College. But we're not going to abolish the Electoral College. I think a lot of people say, if we had it to do over again, if we were starting from scratch, we wouldn't have an Electoral College. After all, remember, the Electoral College was so anti-democratic. It was designed to allow elder states, men, and I use the word men, I don't add women here, 
elder statesmen to decide who would be the best president. Take, for example, a very early election between John Quincy Adams and uh, Andrew Jackson. Um, uh, Adams was, of course, the favorite of the elite. He came from Boston. His father was the president. Went to Harvard. You know, all of and who was Andrew Jackson? Some, you know, some cowboy from some western state who killed Indians, uh, Native Americans, and um, uh, Jackson won. He got more votes, um, but uh, they were contested. And the electors, who were elitists, said, no, no, we don't think Jackson should be the president of the United States. We're going to make John Quincy Adams. And they had a, a debate and a bargain. And uh, Jackson called it the corrupt bargain, ran against it for four years. And then the next time, won overwhelmingly both the popular vote and the electoral vote, made it impossible for the electors to decide against him. So if we had to do over again, maybe we wouldn't have an electoral college. The electoral college today seems to benefit Republicans over uh, Democrats. Demography today favors uh, Democrats. There are more immigrants coming in, more people who are voting who vote Democrat than Republican. So it looks like the popular vote um, may be um, favorable to the Democrats, and so the Republicans need to count on the Electoral College. It didn't work this time, obviously, with President Trump. Trump thinks it did, but the um, uh, ultimate result was, was against him. So we're not going to abolish the Electoral College. We're stuck with it. And if we're stuck with it, we need legislation that makes it clear what the role of the vice president is, what the role of the Speaker of the House is, what the role of governors uh, are, what the role of state legislatures are. We need it. It's broken. It's broken, and we have to fix it. I'd be interested in what your views are. Please send them in to The Der Show. Keep listening Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, 5.30. Keep going on locals where you hear short takes of some of the views that I express in longer term on, on Rumble, but let's keep arguing, let's keep conversing, let's have dialogue, no censorship, no censorship. Joe Rogan, I don't care what I think of you, you're welcome on, 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 on Rumble, I have the right to disagree with you, but I don't want to censor you. I would even allow on Rumble that despicable comedian who told that horrible joke about uh, the Romani people, answer him. Answer him. Respond to him. Use it as an opportunity to educate. That's the basic point. When you disagree with something, challenge it. When you disagree with somebody's point of view, present a better point of view. The marketplace of ideas is open, and it's open to you. And so please participate in the marketplace of ideas. Don't try to shut it down. And watch The Dirt Show. Thank you.